Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. We're here today with Chris and Holly Santillo to talk about resilience and how to raise more resilient teenagers. We're going to be looking at the pillars of resilience, what resilience really is, how service factors into resilience, and the importance of both independence and connectedness, and how to teach these traits by creating a culture of learning within your family. We're also going to talk a lot about integrity, and we're going to look at what sort of are the basic mistakes that parents make a lot of times when trying to communicate about resilience and integrity, and why those strategies that we often use don't work, and what we can do instead. Chris and Holly are the authors of the book, Resilience Parenting, Raising Resilient Children in an Era of Detachment and Dependence. Chris is the founder and head instructor at Potomac Kenpo, a martial arts studio with four locations, and Holly is the founding conductor of Mount Vernon's Children Choir and a senior instructor at Potomac Kenpo. Really interested and excited to speak with Chris and Holly today. Thank you both so much for coming on the show today. Uh, so, so why, why resilience? Obviously, you guys thought it was important enough to write a whole book on resilience parenting. What is it you thought? You know, is there not enough stuff out there on resilience? Is resilience like an underrated topic for parents today, or um, what inspired you to create a book about it? Well, I think the first was a process of elimination. We kind of wanted kids who did the dishes, so we thought about like doing the dishes parenting, but we we decided that was too narrow. Uh, okay. <laughs> we talked about, about like being a perfect human being parenting. And we decided that might be too broad. And so it was kind of like a whittling down process of finding something that, you know, captures the essence, but at the same time, isn't, uh, isn't overly specific. Mm. My answer used to be Andy, that we didn't really have a lot to challenge us on a broad scope, no world war in our face or, um, no great depression, you know, we've had our ups and downs, but there hasn't been a really apocalyptic thing. And, but that we wrote this book about before. a year before COVID. So I don't know, we'll, we'll see if COVID has improved our resilience just from environmental factors. And, but that would have been my answer is, is we need to address how to help our kids be resilient because maybe environmentally they haven't been encouraged to do so. Well, and we touch on this in the book that there are, you know, well, first of all, I guess I should say resilience is a very broad concept. It's the yeah. idea of being able to, you know, survive the things that come at you, being strong enough to overcome challenges. And, and I think if we look at it in that way, you know, we, we talk about intelligence, we talk about training, and we talk about all the different advantages that a person might uh, go into adulthood with. But in the absence of resilience, it's really hard to imagine a person being very successful uh, in any avenue, whether we're, we're talking yep. about, you know, career success, or we're talking about relationship success, or we're talking about just 
like liking themselves when they look in the mirror on their 30th birthday. And that's a, that's a pretty important test all by itself. But then to Holly's point, uh, you know, the readership of our book is very varied and we've gotten feedback from people in, in, in all sorts of cross sections. And some people are in the bucket where the life that would naturally be presented to their children is just too stinking easy. If I can say that uh, the child uh, through luck and, and fortune uh, doesn't have a lot of obstacles that they need to overcome uh, physically or emotionally. And so that child is, is kind of destined to be, uh, can I say floppy? Crumply. Crumply, crumply, <laughs> tended to be crumply if uh, in the absence yep. of challenge. And then at the other end of the spectrum, there are people who, uh, and I obviously I think COVID has increased the, the ratio in this direction, people who are uh, have a lot of challenges, whether they be physical or emotional and a lot of stresses. And then we as parents need to kind of step in and we need to curate that to the right uh, degree so that the four-year-old is receiving a smaller share of the reality of any given cataclysm than say the 16 year old who's only two years from having to go approach such things as an adult. And, uh, and so the book is really, you know, it's meant to address that spectrum because there are days when we're in one camp and there are days when we're in the other camp and um, we need as parents to be able to shift a little bit uh, back and forth and make sure that we're kind of presenting a childhood to our children that is productive and going to set them up for success. You talk about the importance of the why and the how, and you talk about approaching problems as opportunities for education and specifically using that, those as opportunities to teach kids the why and the how. Um, well, how does that look and what does that mean? All right. So teaching is a really big part of our, our premise in this whole book. Yeah. Um, your, your show is called Talking to Teens and the, the kind of relationship that you want to have with your, your child, whatever age, I think should be one of a teacher because you feel like you are well, hopefully mutually learning, you know, not just a, a dictatorship, but um, you're actually, yeah, <laughs> Chris is giving the dictatorship signal. We try not to use that hand. <laughs> If you have if you have a relationship built on learning, you're going to have such better success with communicating to your mm -hmm. child. Yeah. So, the part that you're talking about is is our our slight nod to the the, the folks who are having a little trouble with disciplining their kids. You know, yeah. I tell my my child to do something, or I insist that my teenager not have his earbuds in his uh, ears all the time, and he just doesn't listen to me. If you can approach any of those topics, not with just this is what I say and that is the law, but rather why it's important and how to do it. Okay, taking your earbuds out of yours is not too too hard, but maybe maybe it is. Maybe there are some slight subtleties about why a child needs earbuds. I don't know. Anyway, but maybe how to well, how to, I, your to your point, or, I think that you know how to exist in life without earbuds in twenty four seven is something that yeah, some teenagers yeah, right. feel is impossible. Like their their head will implode in the absence of continuous stimulation. They really believe that. Uh, I you know there's there's 
200,000 years of humans evolution that shows that we can survive in the absence of earbuds. Uh, but some teenagers uh, don't know that yet. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So it doesn't. And then, yeah, it totally changes the way that people interact with you and um, put laces, new demands on you in terms of, you can't just like shut yourself off from uh, interactions. And, but there are consequences uh, to that, right? There are consequences yeah. and uh, the relationship that is degraded because today I get to listen to a podcast during dinner and that was entertaining for me has a, a cost in terms of the relationship that I have with my brother and my sister and my family and, and whoever else is present and yeah. decreases my ability to evolve as a human being who can interact in social settings and social settings are you know, like everything, you know, his ability to interact with his future bosses, his ability to interact. Um, I keep saying he, because I know who she's talking about and he's a young man. And, uh, <laughs> but, I, but I could be a, she a just theoretical example, a theoretical a example. Theory. No one we know has a teenager who has earbuds <laughs> in all the time. I swear. I swear. And, um, that there's a cost to that. And if we explain that, if we don't say, take your earbuds out, how many times have I told you? I've told you a million times. Instead, we say, let's sit down and let's talk about this. Is like, do you want to live in a household where everybody hates each other or at the very least dislikes each other? Or do you want to yeah. live in a household where you walk through the front door and you, and you feel a sense of welcome? Which of those would you prefer? Well, presumably they're going to prefer, I guess I shouldn't speak for them. Hopefully you can, you can have this conversation in context where they, they say, I'd, I'd rather be in that, that uh, household, that warm feeling. It's like, okay, well, here are some of the things that are necessary for having that. It's not a given. It's not a given that we have good relationships with our family members. Like we want them, but there are some people who turn 18 and they head out the door and they never, ever look back. And we want to help them see that their actions in their teenage years set the stage for what, what the next decade of their life is going to be. And they can make choices here and now that might be net positive for their experience, even if they miss that podcast. So what you a learning you said is a big part of the book. And another aspect of that is talking about creating a culture of learning. I mean, that seems like a big, uh, a big topic. How do we, how do we think about that as parents? And um, what are some ideas on sort of facilitating that in our household and creating a, a culture within our family of learning and growing? So I, I ebb and flow with my ability to do this, I guess, with, with any action um, or any attempt at good parenting when I'm really doing well with this culture of learning it just feels good to be having a new information come at me I feel curious I feel open to new possibilities and when it's not going very well I'm not in, I'm disinterested and it feels like um, rote necessary duty so yeah. my current reflection on this is that we want to we want to recognize when our learning is going well and when it isn't and be willing to change course, which is mm -hmm. a big part of resilience, by the way, is, is adapting when you notice that your, your current course of action is not taking you in the right, right direction where you want to go. Um, and I'm just thinking about this because our, our current school project right now, I want, to, I want to be learning about Africa with my kids. And I noticed that the program I set out for ourselves, it just was no more, no fun anymore. <laughs> I said, you know what? We don't have to do it that way. Let's, let's find a new way. And everyone was like, 
I could tell. (laughs) (laughs) All right. But going back to the more over overarching answer to your question, we want to model the kind of behavior that we expect to see in our kids going back to the earbuds thing. Right. If we don't want our kids to be tuning out to all of our conversations, we can't do the same thing to them. Yeah. Um, And if we want our kids to be really excited about learning, well, then we should be learning ourselves in in a way that they can see right in front of them. Like I'm, I pick up a book too, or I have something to talk about at dinner too, because I'm excited to be learning. And there are really two parts to that. She kind of alluded to this. One is that we as adults, as parents need to be continually learning and whether you're picking up a new language or whether you're doing an evening certificate program or you're going back to school or just reading some decent nonfiction on a regular basis. Um, So part one is we need to do that. Like if you expect your children to do that, then you need to do it. And and we, we joke sometimes that what we really wanted to do was write a book for adults about how to be resilient themselves but we've concluded that people would much rather tell other people how to be. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. But, but you know, there's, there's not a lesson in the book that you can't turn around and look in the mirror and be like, oh yeah, I could I could be more honest with myself about the how and why, about why things. I could improve yeah. myself as a person. I could have more integrity in learning. Isn't that one of the life. things about parenting too, is that uh, it just makes you want to be such a better person yourself. And uh, it's like- When it's going well, it does, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so many of those things in life that like we don't do for ourselves, but that we like do for other people, um, or when it becomes about someone else, we're like, oh, wow, this is important. But <laughs> parenting has that kind of forces you to like re-examine yourself in a lot of ways and um, seek to um, make some of those changes that you've been like kind of. Absolutely. I tell awesome. a story in the book and it, it touches, it gets into the, the chapter of integrity. So sorry, I'm probably jumping ahead on your questions, but I tell a story <laughs> in the book about <laughs> clipping somebody's side view mirror. It's really annoying. Like I, I got to the stop sign. And I, thought, I think I heard something. What was that sound? That was the sound of a thousand dollars flitting in <laughs> your pocket. It's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm sure it was nothing. I'm sure it was nothing. And I pulled ahead to the next stoplight. I was like, no no, I bet that was something. And I convinced myself to, to drive back and pull around. And it was because of that very thing that you're talking about, Andy, that I realized yeah. I have been talking to my kids about honesty, about integrity, yeah. about needs. And if I don't go back, I am breaking my rules. Yeah. yeah, there's, you know, back to the idea of learning as well as integrity is that if we want our kids to have uh, learning in their lives, we need to have learning in our lives. If we want our kids to have integrity in their lives, we need to have integrity. But there's a second piece. And, you know, Holly's story of the the side view mirror uh, and the thousand dollars that never was is a good example is like they're, they're both there's doing it and then there's talking about it and making it has to be visible to them or you you could be learning stuff at work all day that they don't know about and being having lots of integrity all day at the office but if it's not visible to your family then it doesn't there's no modeling happening and Exactly, exactly. And I think integrity is the, the hardest one of these because integrity doesn't look like anything. A failure of integrity looks like something, right? Yeah. So you could spend 18 years in front of your child and have perfect integrity, never lie, never cheat, never steal, never be dishonest in any way, shape or form. But in the absence of someone saying like, hey, did you notice how even though that was challenging, he told the truth, mm-hmm. you know, then it, it doesn't look like anything, you know, yeah, failures of integrity yeah. kind of jump out really quickly. Uh, but integrity is something, you know, it's walking across a tightrope every day of our lives. And it's worth saying like, Hey, I, I admit it. Like I'm human. Like it was tempting to ignore that 
that side view mirror. And like, part of me is like, ah, trying to convince myself it's nothing. But, um, but then you go and you do what's right because it's what's right. And that's what integrity means. And so there are these lessons that, um, we get to draw out and it hurts. It would be so much easier to pretend in front of our children, just as we like pretending in front of the rest of the world that we're perfect. Yeah, right. And so often these struggles happen internally and we just, we don't talk about it. We don't want to show that we're really struggling with something because we feel like we shouldn't be like that as a parent. And, you know, a kid doesn't necessarily even know that a thousand dollars is painful for us. uh, If we don't, even, even if they see us stop and, you know, put a note on the windshield or do whatever we do to correct the situation like that, they don't even necessarily understand that we had this kind of moment of like, ah, and that even next week, it's still affecting us because now our budget's tighter. um, And whatever the thing is, a lot of times we sort of like bear these burdens silently (laughs) um, as parents or something like that. But actually, it doesn't necessarily do a service to our children to just not, not talk about it. I was getting a a vision of dinner table conversations. I I don't know what your household was like, Andy, but mine when I was a teenager was every attempt to stay silent. You know, my parents parents desperately wanted to connect with me and I I was having none of it. And I I remember it was always the same question, like, how was school? You know, so let's let's start easy. How was school? Fine. Fine. (laughs) Fine. (laughs) Good answer. Solid answer. No, no. <laughs> you know? and after, after several attempts and they would give up and they would move on to talking about what happened at the business that day, which really didn't matter to me. So you didn't even have earbuds to escape to either, you know, right? No, yeah, no, I just had my, my glowering presence. I've seen, pictures. <laughs> I've seen pictures of her as a teenager. She glowered. It was, it was amazing. Quite a glower. Oh man. So I, um, it's a bit of a random note, but I think it's really important that we find topics that we can all be truly interested in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so I find I find Chris and I are doing it more now because we don't have young ones who demand young one attention. We're like, oh, we are we're remembering what it's like to have adult conversation mm-hmm. like again. But sometimes I think we do it at the expense of connecting with our kids. You know, we were like, let's talk taxes, dear. Okay. And, or, or like just the real heavy COVID stuff or, and I, I've noticed this kind of shift of, well then, okay, the kids will go talk in their world of their fantasy novels and we'll go talk in our unattainable world of adult realities. And we need to come back and find something that we all are, are interested in. Yeah. Or we'll find that just keeps getting, that divide gets wider and wider. Well, and that's, that's just basic, uh, good conversation skills, you know, asking questions, how was school is not a good conversation starter. You know, it's, it's right up there with, do you come here often? Like, you know, like those (laughs) both belong in the same bucket as they just probably don't need to be used ever again by anyone. And, uh, and, and there's such blanket statements, right. You know, do you know, how was school just like, you know, fine is, is fine. I think is, is the appropriate answer, but you know, 
if we're involved at the level that we can and should and want to be involved, then, you know, it's like, you know, what happened in history class today? Because last week you told me that in history right. class this happened. Yeah, and yeah, you know, yeah. What was the follow on to that? And, you know, is, you know, Mrs. Baker still being annoying and, you know, right. and um, if you have very specific um, questions, it's, it's funny, it's a weird parallel, but in teaching martial arts, part of keeping the lesson centered on the student is to not have a lot of details about oneself as an instructor. And it's yeah, just a tactic. Right. And, uh, and so if somebody says, how was your weekend? You say, fine, it's easy. So, so student walks in, sensei walks in, karate instructor walks into the room. They say, how was your weekend? Karate instructor say, fine. But if they know more about your life, then they start saying, it's like, you know, how was your, uh, how was your beach place this weekend? And it's a little harder to just say, fine. You know, it's right. like, did they, did the storm come through? Because I heard there was a storm there in Southern mm -hmm. Virginia where you were staying at your beach house. You know, like if you have, if they have specifics, you know, how's your aunt Millie, you know, if they, when we have specifics, then it's harder to just say fine. You can't say yeah. fine to specific questions. Right. It's easy. Yeah. And so in the inverse, where you do want to be making a connection with the individuals across the table from you, saying really blanket, stupid, uh, stupid sounds like <laughs> ill thought out, weak uh, questions yep. will result in weak answers. And, uh, and we need to delve. But delving requires effort. It requires knowing. Remember paying attention last week when they said that their history teacher was assigning a, you know, a yep. project that they thought was unreasonable. Absolutely. You have to remember. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and then you need to scribble notes and keep track of all your kids' uh, teachers. The other side yeah. of it is making sure to share something from your day. Uh, maybe instead of asking a question, say, offer something, right? Yeah, something personal right. from, from your day. Going back to you learned a whole lot of things at work. Well, maybe what specifically you're working on on the computer doesn't matter to them, but perhaps the relationship that you have with somebody and, you know, fighting over the water cooler. Hopefully you know what I mean. That so what she's trying to say <laughs> is you need to curate your experience during the day and share yeah. the aspects of it that might be relevant to your audience, which that again, kind of be able to connect with something in their day too, or something. Yeah, and then exactly. they give you a nice little leeway to say like, uh, to tie it to them and ask them a question. And yeah. I just and think that, again, also, that's just good conversation. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent. And like, I I hate it when people just um have like yeah don't offer anything and then ask me a question like oh how was your day did anything happen at school like that it feels a little lazy it feels like you're investing no energy or effort to like what we said remember something from earlier and bring back something specific or say something interesting from your own experience and then relate it to me or it's like so you're just like entertain me um tell me <laughs> tell me something dance good, puppy you know? dance yeah 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 and like it feels like you don't really care about the answer because if you if you really cared you would be like doing what you guys said, you know, oh my God, you had that thing today with uh, whatever, with the assembly that, you know, you were looking forward to and saying, what, 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 what was that like? And how was the, whatever? And did um, that thing happen in third period? Like you were going to be doing and what was that awkward or whatever. And now all of a sudden I feel like you really care. <laughs> You're actually interested. Whereas like, oh, how was school? I feel like you're just trying to make conversation and then you're actually putting it on me to make the conversation. And yeah. And as teenagers, especially like we don't like being like 
told what to do or like forced what to do or something. And we resist that type of, it's like a command. It's like a tacit command, you know, like uh, entertain me, make some conversation. And yeah, we don't like that. So we resist that and we say nothing, fine, whatever. Hey, we're here with Chris and Holly Santillo talking about how to raise more resilient teenagers. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. There is a false dichotomy in our society that if you want your kids to be independent or connected, you have to give up the others. And it just isn't true. We can have it all. I said, well, and in the martial arts, this, this is always described as the uh, cup overflowing. You need to fill your own cup in order to have anything to share. And there are many stories that center around this idea of this cup. And if you're always emptying your cup, if you're always giving of yourself to others, eventually you run dry. And if all you focus on is filling your own cup and you never share with others, then it just overflows and it's a big waste. And that the key is to make sure that you're always filling your cup and then you're also offering of your cup to others. You mentioned struggles and physical struggles. And I thought one of the best things that our family has done has to seek out physical struggles that we do together. Ooh, um, I like that. Our, ours is hiking. Yeah. We, we love hiking. We love trying to find the next challenge, the next, um, you know, what's our new record going to be? This was the coldest hike we've ever done or the longest ah. one or it was the darkest one or the, you know, the kids just jump on this. The most miserable. Um, <laughs> we had the most miserable so far. And I have to tell you, that was the one where, as we were coming down, the sense of connection and joy and you know, being able to, to like already talk about our war stories of yeah. <laughs> climbing up this volcano. Yeah. It was incredible. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.